Every woman has a birth story to tell. This podcast is our birth story. The birth story of how each of us became midwives. Our journey to midwifery. I'm your host, Amber Wilson, a doctor midwife. And each episode, I'll take you on another journey to hear the amazing stories of midwives all across the globe. Listen to each tell the story of their personal journey. Listen to the words of how each was birthed into the field of midwifery. And listen to the stories of trials and tribulations along the way and the love and passion each holds for midwifery. Hello, friends. Today on our podcast, we have Alice, who's a certified nurse midwife and a family nurse practitioner practicing in North Carolina. So hi, Alice. Can you introduce yourself for Yeah. Um, So I'm Alice Ann. I've been a midwife for about four and a half years now. And I've been working primarily at one job during that entire time at a birth center. But I would love to hear before you ever started school, before you applied, what was it that made you think you wanted to be a midwife? Yeah, um, I have a unusual story in the midwifery world because when I first decided to look into this, I had no idea what midwifery was. Um, My first career was a music educator. So I taught orchestra primarily to elementary and middle school kids. And at that time I had been living in California and realized that my then husband and I needed to get out for various reasons. Um, And I could not find a job teaching in a place that I wanted to teach due to the time of year. Um, And so somebody that I knew on an acquaintance level who was a dietitian happened to ask me, have you ever considered midwifery? And I said, no, I haven't. And I went home and I looked into it. And I was like, well, this model of care is how I live my life anyway. I might as well make that my career. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's it's notable that I had been the primary caretaker for my mother, who uh, had died a few years before that after undergoing cancer treatments. Uh, mm-hmm. And part of that involved wound care for mm-hmm. a... Um, abscessed kidney removal, if you will. So after taking care of her for eight weeks with that while it healed, I realized that I could do anything, especially Mm -hmm. in the medical profession. So I was not squeamish at all, even though I had not really been around birth or um, really anything (laughs) that happens in the midwifery world as far as the physical aspects of it. So at that time, I looked into it and I realized that I needed pretty much all of the science prereqs that midwifery requires because being a musician, I had none of them. And so I looked at various schools and I ended up going to Western Carolina over in Silva in the mountains of North Carolina for a year doing the chemistry and the uh, statistics and the anatomy and physiology and all of those. Um, mm-hmm. and I 
I lucked out because I was in their pre-nursing track that they required a pathophys class for mm-hmm. their their students who were going into their nursing school. So I took that class with the rest of the nursing students. Um, that was a like throw you in the deep end as far as medical terminology and how the body works. And yeah. if you are in a position to take a class like that before you actually get to midwifery school, jump on it. It helped mm-hmm. so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was at Western for an entire year and I was looking at programs that would allow for basically direct entry without any nursing experience because obviously I had none. Mm-hmm. Um, I applied to Vanderbilt University and to Emory University because I'm originally from Atlanta. And while I got into both of them, Vanderbilt felt like a better fit. So mm-hmm. I ended up going there and doing their midwifery and their FNP program because it was one extra semester. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm in it for the care that we provide. And they're really good about using that model of care for their nursing, for the nurse practitioner program as well. So I'm really happy I did that. So you basically went straight on through from being a music teacher all the way to nurse practitioner. No stopping. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, because Vanderbilt has this program and so does Emory and so do a lot of other of their schools where you, if you have a degree in something, they don't care what, you can do your RN program Vanderbilt's was three semesters. I think Emory's was four. Um, mm-hmm. So I did like an accelerated BSN type program and mm-hmm. then went straight into the midwifery program. Um, That's really, really great, especially for somebody looking at a second career. Yeah. And it was great to have the huge variety of backgrounds that we had in my class. Mm-hmm. Um, the Obviously, the accelerated like BSN portion was all people from all uh, genres, if you will, of nursing going through this together. So I still have some really good friends who were in the adult NP or the FNP or the pediatric NP programs. Mm-hmm. And those are valuable connections to have once you're you know, in the professional world, too. So what made you choose going the nurse midwifery path versus like a CPM or licensed midwife or another path like that? Um, well, partly, I don't think I really even knew about CPMs and, and, and direct entry midwives when mm-hmm. I decided this program. Um, I, it would not have changed my mind. Okay. Uh, I think the ability to function above board, especially in North Carolina, given how restrictive this state is, even though we're we're trying to change that. Mm -hmm. Um, So the ability to function above board, the ability to care for women in all aspects of of like tertiary community center outpatient, um, the ability to write prescriptions is huge. And I feel like I'm able to be a better provider because I can function seamlessly throughout these different levels of care, whereas CPMs in this environment cannot. Yeah. Um, And I knew I wanted to live in North Carolina. Like I've known that since I was, you know, 20, um, Mm -hmm. because I I love this area. And I think 
states that have CPM licensure are significantly different and that might change people's minds for other states. But mm -hmm. North Carolina is still a bit backwards in some mm -hmm. ways. Mm -hmm. um, what do you remember your age when you started your nursing nurse midwifery track? The age that you were? Yeah. Um, let me do some math. <laughs> Let's see. Okay. I am 36 now. So that means that I became a midwife when okay. I was 31. Okay. Um, and it was essentially three years of school. So, well, three and a half years of school given the Western portion. So I was probably in my late 20s. Um, a okay. friend of mine who was in the adult NP program turned 50 during her program. Um, mm -hmm. So, like, I would not let age be a factor in this decision if you feel like you've still got at least 10 years of, of work in you. Yeah, definitely. Do you, um, did you go through it with children? Do you have children? No. Um, and I feel incredibly lucky to have decided to change paths beforehand. Mm -hmm. uh, there were a few people in my program who did have children, and there were a lot more children by the end of the program. I think we had five babies in the course of our you know, two and a half year-ish commitments to Vanderbilt that were yeah. uh, from members of the midwifery student population. So, um, so I was married at the time, and well, obviously, I'm not married anymore. He was a big help as far as um, letting me put schooling first and helping around mm -hmm. the house and making sure that I was fed because I'm not mm -hmm. good at that myself to this day. Um, mm -hmm. There were periods of time during that that neither one of us had a job. And so my student loan amount... Um, is not tiny, <laughs> mm -hmm. but there are programs for people that one of which I'm in that will help make the payments manageable. And mm -hmm. yeah, that's a decision you have to make for yourself as to how much debt you're willing to go into. Um, Vanderbilt yeah. is obviously one of the more expensive schools. Emory was actually more expensive mm -hmm. than Vanderbilt was, but that's a choice that I made. And um, I don't regret it at all. Vanderbilt is almost 100% in person. And I believe that that is currently also how they're set up. I think they went to a distance-based program for like a year or two and realized that that was not really the best decision for their students. Um, I am somebody mm -hmm. that I'm a really hard worker and I can focus really well, but making my own schedule is difficult. And so mm -hmm. having to show up to places for classes, but also the camaraderie that comes with having the same 20 people, 25 people in a classroom day in and day out and practicing skills and practicing pelvic exams on each other um, and doing mm -hmm. things like that. I 100% believe that it is the best way to learn because of the, the hand skills, having the relationship with the professors is huge because I can still now call up my professors and be like, hey, 
um, I'm having problems with this, or can you give me any resources on that? And they'll shoot back an email that day. Um, and I feel like mm-hmm. having that relationship is fantastic so that it allowed for a deeper level of understanding. It allowed for interacting with people outside of classrooms when we would get together to study um, was huge to be able to bounce ideas off of people or even just study in tandem. Like parallel study is how I like to put it. Um, So you can just ask questions when they arise and have somebody actually know what you're talking about and maybe be able Mm -hmm. to explain it in a way that you couldn't have gotten from watching a video on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. So the classes were all in person for the first year. And then when we started clinicals, it would be three days of clinicals, two days of classes, essentially, mm-hmm. for the first, let's see, for my primary care, which was part of the midwifery program, was that way. Uh, antepartum was that mm-hmm. way. Um, antepartum, postpartum. And then when we went to uh, interpartum, uh, it was more heavily on the time in the clinic or in the hospital or in the wherever um, than in classes, but we still had in-person classes one day a week. And then integration, mm-hmm. you went someplace for three months. I ended up in Arkansas at a birth center in Arkansas and we were there for three months and we had weekly video based chats. Um, Did your school find your clinical site for you or was that your responsibility? No, that was the one of the biggest benefits is that they found it for us. We told them what kind of placement we would like and like I prioritize Mm -hmm. birth center and they found me a birth center which is incredibly difficult if you're doing it on your own, honestly. Took my boards the absolute first day I could um, in the new year. So it was like January 5th or 6th or something like that. Um, It was at an HR block. So like, it's not some big scary thing. You just go in this place where they have a computer and like it's set up so that they are are watching you. Um, I did pass the first time. Uh, let's mm-hmm. see. Honestly, the comps for my university for Vanderbilt were way harder than boards. So studying for the comps, I used a few apps. I used a lot of reviewing my notes. Um, at that time, I used the birth center policies and procedures, which was essentially a textbook of like how to do all of the things. Um, it has since changed. Okay. Um, do you remember how long it took to get your state license? Because that varies, I think, from state to state. Uh, yeah, so the very first one, super fast. Um, like I said, North Carolina is a little bit backwards. So in this state, I have to have a physician to sign my, it's not even called a license, it's called an approval to practice, which okay. don't get me started. Um, but so that means that I couldn't actually, what, I'm sorry. That's a whole other podcast episode. Oh yeah. That was my white paper. That was basically my graduate paper was the rules in this state. Um, Mm -hmm. but so in this state, I cannot have my license until I have a job and therefore someone to sign it. But your very first license out should be easy. 
should be fast. I, I do remember my friends in California who got jobs there. It took them a long time for various mm-hmm. unknown reasons. But North Carolina was literally like a week, maybe two. Not not long at all. Um, it took almost no time to get my nursing license, which I had to have first in order to mm-hmm. get my midwifery here in the state. Mm-hmm. Um, so you did have a job lined up when you graduated? Uh, I... I did, actually, yes. It took me a second to remember because I only stayed there for a few weeks. Um, I got in and I saw the writing on the walls and it was a great practice. It was a great model, Um, but Mm -hmm. the numbers were half of what they had told me they were Mm -hmm. and the pay was abysmal and it ends up that a few months after I left, they ended up closing. So uh, I I was sad to see them go because they were providing a fantastic service. They did home birth as well as hospital-based birth. Mm-hmm. And I did get to watch a couple of home births with them, which was a fantastic experience. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm sorry that they're closed, but like I had to do what was right for me and my, my situation. Yeah. So... Um, and I love the message there that it is okay to leave if you don't feel comfortable, unhappy, whatever. Absolutely. And it's really hard to know what a practice is like until you're there. Um, I will say that I did not give very much notice because I was not on the call schedule. Like mm-hmm. I was not in line to take call for these women. If I had been on the call schedule, mm-hmm. I would have given a much longer notice. Um, Because I've also been Mm -hmm. on the other end of that where we've had midwives quit with little to no notice and they were already set up to be in clinic independently and to be on call independently. And that does kind of screw over your your coworkers. So if you can avoid that, please do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you went on to another job. Can you share a little bit about um, how... What was your work life then? An average schedule, average patient load. What did yeah. your What did your life look like? Um, so, the the job that I had immediately after that first one is the one that I was at for almost four years. It was with the birth center uh, in Charlotte, and I was there from prior to the ground floor, if you will. I went back to Arkansas for orientation for you know four or five weeks and before the birth center even opened its doors to get materials in so i was one of the ones helping putting together you know tables and chairs and putting up all of the supplies so like like true ground floor for the birth center which was an amazing experience um Mm -hmm. our our life there was very dedicated to the center um Pretty much every single person who worked there had moved to Charlotte for the birth center. So we were our own family. Like You get that pretty much anywhere, I think, in a midwifery job. But this was heightened because of uh, the lack of other outside social outings or outlets. But also the time that we spent together because it was a very um, sparse 
staff to begin with. So we had uh, two full-time midwives, one like senior midwife who was kind of near retirement age and one nurse. And that was Mm -hmm. it. Um, Yeah. So we opened in October. We had our first births in January, but we had like maybe five births a month for the first few months. Um, Mm -hmm. By the time we ended, we were having 20 to 30 births a month and was projected for almost double that, which would have been this summer. So we grew quickly. Um, I will say that birth center work uh, is not paid as well as it should be anywhere. My job was no exception. Um, and it, it does require a higher level of investment, I feel like, than a lot of other practices because the work-life balance um, was not present for most of the time I was there. Mm-hmm honestly. Um, Mm. So if I just want to have people realize that if you are in a situation like that, you can put your foot down to your employer and say, this is not safe. Like, especially if you use the safety thing, because there were times when we went to our, the people responsible, which was not um, at our ground floor, because it was it was a corporation, honestly. Okay. Um, okay. And we said, like, we don't feel safe. This is what we need. And they listened. They were able to provide us support, which was lovely, and then get us more midwives. Um, we, we did 24-hour call. Mm-hmm. We had, at the end when we were kind of the busiest, we had the, the midwife was on for 24 hours and then our birth assistants, which were typically nurses, but occasionally a midwife would fill that role as well. were, were on 12 hour shifts. Mm-hmm. Um, so that if it were 2 AM and I had a midwife or I had a patient come in that was um, early active, but needing support, I felt like it was okay. And that I wasn't going to be calling in somebody who might've been up all day doing home visits and with a labor because they came Mm -hmm. on seven. And so I knew that they were fresh, which Mm -hmm. I think was the best scenario. Um, I was probably doing two calls in one clinic on on an average week. Some weeks I had two clinics and two calls or three calls in one clinic. Um, that is sustainable. I think three or more calls, 24 hour calls in a week is um, not for very long. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Did you feel like your off days belonged to you? Did you feel off when you were off? Um, primarily, yes. Towards the end, I was one of the midwives who had been there the longest by far. And so I put extra responsibility on myself that I probably didn't need to in that I, I told people that I was available to them if they ever needed anything or had any questions because we did have a couple of brand new midwives who had never worked in that facility or in that environment before. Um, it was used rarely, but when I took vacations, yes, I was off. Like, and our post-call day was off. So that means come 7 a.m., when we were off call, we had nothing to do for work the rest of that day for the next 24 hours, um, which is vital. Like, I know some people are made to do clinic 
post call and that seems unwise. Yeah. So it's something to check when you're looking for jobs. Yeah, definitely. Um, can you share what somebody going into home birth in North Carolina might expect to make as far as salary? Uh, home birth is different because there are very few certified nurse midwives who are able to do that. Birth center wise, um, I was started off in the mid seventies and it, I, I got to, before I, before we closed, I was making, um, it's, let's just say high for midwife or high for birth center work, incredibly low for midwife work in the state. So like 90 ish, mm -hmm. um, which was, it's a really good paying job for a birth center. But if you look at the state average, which is, you know, 89 to 120 or something, it's still mm -hmm. like at the minimum for what an, the average salary is for a midwife in this state. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but for a birth center, that sounds really good. Yeah. I mean, it, that might have been one of the reasons why they decided to close because costs were high. And granted, it wasn't just our birth center that closed. It was all of them in our state. We had three. Um, it was a financial decision by investors. It had nothing to do with regulation. It had nothing to do with outcomes. It had nothing to do with safety. Uh, mm -hmm. It was just somebody way up top that I maybe met once was like, nope, we're done. Wow. So it was, it was an incredibly sad moment for us, for the community, for the women who were due, for the women yeah. who were hoping to have their next baby with us. Yeah. And you probably got a lot of repeats in that four years. Yeah, I, I caught several repeats. We even had people who were working on their third by the mm -hmm. end, which mm -hmm. was very, very sad to have to tell them sorry, but no. Yeah, that is really disheartening. Yeah. Um, so can you share what your next job's going to be like that you think where you're headed? Uh, yeah, I can. As much as I know, because it is another startup. I seem to love those. <laughs> um, but this one, it's for a company called City Block that is coming to North Carolina. We haven't opened yet, but it it's basically taking the midwifery model of care, the birth center model of care, and it applies it to all aspects of healthcare. So <clears throat> that's one of the reasons I love it. That is that I'll be able to use my FNP scope as well as my midwifery scope because yeah. we will be catching babies at some point in the mm -hmm. future. Um, yeah, so I can help people to, and they work primarily with the underserved who would not be getting this model of care because I think most midwives recognize that our patient populations are such that they tend to be highly educated. They tend to be um, better off financially than others, especially in the bigger cities, especially in North mm -hmm. Carolina, where midwifery is still somewhat taboo. <laughs> like mm -hmm. you're going to have the crunchy granola level of people. Um, mm -hmm. 
that was not completely our population at the birth center, but it, like on average, it was. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited to be working with a population that um, either through access or education or uh, pure resources, financial resources, would not have been able to access care with us. Um, yeah. Because um, I think that's what midwives are called to, called to do, right? We work yeah. with people and we help educate people and we help help them help themselves. And that's what this company that wants to do. That sounds really exciting. I am, yeah, it's literally the perfect job for me. <laughs> or at yeah. least it, it sounds like it is and I'm going to make it that way. So. When one door closes, another certainly opens, right? Uh, that's what it's been like for me so far, and I hope it's the same for everybody else. So from starting midwifery to now you've been practicing for four and a half years, what is your drive, your desire, your motivation to be a midwife now versus when you started? I really love helping people understand the whys and the hows of things. Um, like I am an educator to my core. That's what I've been since, you know, middle school, honestly. And so I, I feel like my rationale for this job has not changed significantly, but I have seen how it can affect women and their partners and their families. Um, I remember having a woman who is was not from this country and her mom came and spoke no English. Her mom spoke zero English, but she works as an OB in her home country. And mm -hmm. after her daughter had her birth at the birth center, her mom looked at me and through her daughter said that she had attended like a thousand births and she had never seen a, a birth like that. Wow. And just seeing how it affects not only the woman, because we all know how it affects the woman to feel supported and to feel loved and to know that they did this, but to see how that affects their family and the ripple effects that being heard can have, I think is huge. Um, I really do think that birth and midwifery mm -hmm. can change the world. It's, it's a very, very slow process. <laughs> um, and it requires that we have patience for these people who are born into a loving situation and with, with support, uh, come of age so it's going to be a long a long time for the payoff but this is the type of care that everyone needs and once people get a taste of what it feels like and they see what it is like for their loved ones they start demanding it for everyone else that they know too yeah when we opened the birth center in 2015 there were no midwives there were maybe there were maybe a couple midwives in the Charlotte city and there were a few on the outskirts, like in the suburbs. Mm -hmm. And today there are midwives in every single hospital that's been open for more than a year. And that's because consumers are demanding it because they yep. have seen what it looks like. And I, I attribute that a lot to the birth center. It's not 100% because you know, nothing ever is. But mm -hmm. once you see what is possible, it's a lot harder to put up with what you've had. Yeah. I think that's what we're doing here. Yeah. That is a great answer. I like that. 
like I said, I did not come through this in the, oh, I've wanted to do this forever. I've wanted to work with moms and babies since I was little. I came at this because of the model of care and because I love evidence and science. <laughs> um, so my favorite resources are evidence-based birth. And mm -hmm. there's an app called Read, like R-E-A-D, that okay. will send articles to your phone about things that you're interested in. And it just pops up on my phone like a few times a day, like, oh, this such and such an article is from the American College of Obstetrics or from yeah. the British Journal or from, you know, the AAP. And that's how I get a lot of my information. Um, can you share what is the best advice that you were ever given from a mentor or, or somebody along your journey? I think... This was actually not from a midwifery mentor, but from somebody I respect greatly. And they said that if you look at a person's upbringing and education and experiences, that their decisions in a moment make complete sense. And to remember that. And so you will forever find people that are making decisions that you think are maybe not the best. And so to remember that they're coming at this doing the best that they can. It's very much like the meet people where they are mentality, mm -hmm. which is what we do really well. But sometimes mm -hmm. hard to be like, well, why are they thinking that? Or why aren't they vaccinating? Or why aren't they giving their baby vitamin K when we've got all this research that says mm -hmm. that that's the best? And if you come at it from like, where are they coming from? What have they read? What are their fears? It's a lot easier mm -hmm. to have a respectful, engaged conversation about things that can be really difficult topics. Um, yeah. Same thing goes for like talking about weight, right? That's a really sensitive subject. And if you mm -hmm. consider for a second their experiences as a overweight person or as somebody who has gained 50 pounds in four months, like what must they be thinking or feeling that goes a long way to to being respectful and for them not shutting down when you mention something about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is good advice. Do yeah. you have anything along your journey that you feel like has been your biggest challenge? Um, I have had many challenges <laughs> in the four short you know, four and a half-ish years that I've been doing this. Um, midwifery is not always fun. Birth is not always successful. Uh, and that is really hard. And as long as you can come away thinking, I did everything within my power that I could do for this situation, then that has to be enough. Um, if you can explain to the people involved why you're making the decisions you are making as long as you have the time, or even if you don't, like give them rationales while you're doing the things that you're doing. That goes a really long way to making them feel better and also stopping the guilt that can happen um, as you replay things, like being the secondary victim, which is huge in our profession. Well, you have shared so much, so many cool things. I have really enjoyed hearing your story. Do you have anything that you wanted that you think should be added? Any advice for anybody thinking about becoming a midwife that we haven't talked about? 
I don't know how widespread it is the to possible or incoming midwives that the divorce rate in our profession is quite high. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you are changing professions to become a midwife, I think that's something that you should consider with your partner. Mm-hmm. Not the like, are we going to get a divorce, obviously, but how is this going to change our life patterns? Yeah. Because you're going to be exhausted. You're going to yeah. be weird hours. You're going to be getting phone calls and have to leave family or friend events yeah. and go into it open eyed that this is not like a nine to five job. Mm-hmm. This is not even a nursing job, right? This is not a I know I've got my 12 hours and then I can clock out. And while I still care about the people at the hospital or at the clinic or wherever, I know they're being well taken care of. Um, you become a lot more emotionally invested and it takes a lot more out of you than I think almost any other job out there. And so go into that discussing those things so that they don't become stressors when you are already exhausted because mm-hmm. it's hard to come back. I think that was powerful, real, raw advice that needed to be said. And I appreciate that you said that. <laughs> Good. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So thank you, Alice, for your time. This has been a really great um, talk with you. Great. Thank you for, I'm so excited that you're doing this and I can't wait to hear the other people's stories. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you would like to interview or know someone who does or encourage someone who has a great story or viewpoint to share, have them reach out to me. Easy to find. I'm in one place now. Journey to Midwifery Podcast at gmail.com. The email address is in the show notes and on the podcast page. But again, Journey to Midwifery Podcast at gmail.com. I can't wait to hear from you and share your story.